Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Nice to see you all. Today we're going to carry on thinking about our Everyday Spirituality series that Simon started last week. Um, This is all based out of a book. uh, It's actually called Naked Spirituality, but we've censored it for the sensitive souls amongst you. So we call it Everyday Spirituality. Um, If I could have my slides on, that'd be great. There we go. Lovely. Um, Today we're going to think um, about worship. So in the book, if if you want to go and read it, there's no nudity in it. It's just that's just what it's called. It's, uh, they, they go through sort of 12 different words uh, that can all relate to our spiritual life in every day. Today's word, if you're taking notes, is O, which I realise is not a word, it's just a phrase or an expression, just a little letter, but essentially it means, oh, praise God. That's essentially where we're going with it. So it's the worship talk for you today. Now, I'd be willing to bet if I were to ask the room, um, what do people think of when they say, when they hear worship, most people would probably say music. That will probably come up somewhere. And understandably so, because normally if you go and visit a church, you come to a church service and they say, now we're going to worship God. And then a band would come out of nowhere and start singing songs and things like that. So that's the general idea that most people would have in their heads about worship. One of the problems with that is that not everybody is musically gifted. I include myself in that category. I know that might come as a shock to many of you. Um, If you hear conversations after church, you might hear people in the worship band saying, Chris, please join. We need you. You are the only thing stopping heaven being fully revealed here on earth by not giving your musical gift. That's just a conversation you might hear. But actually, I have no musical talent. Sad, I know. Um, It's only really 10% of people who are considered to be musically gifted, so like really, really good at what they do. So with that in mind, my talk today, I've titled it Worship is for Everyone, because I don't want anyone to feel sort of excluded from worship because you can't sing. I know some people might feel like strangled cats and you might hear that going on in around the church, but those people can worship too. They are not excluded from worship. Worship is for everyone. And so when Simon sent out the list of these words and these topics that we're talking, I thought, actually, that one really stood out to me. I thought it was very important to hear about worship from someone with zero musical talent. So that's what's going to happen this morning. With that in mind, please let me just set people's expectations. Can we just have some somewhere down here? All you're going to hear is pretty much reruns and repeats of what's already been said. There's nothing new happening today. If that means you want to nod off, like, I'm fine with that. I'm a teacher. I'm used to people nodding off and not really listening to anything I'm saying. What do you want? You like your singing, Chris. You like my singing. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's lovely. For today, then, let's get a, a sort of a working definition of what worship is. Because, like I said, it can be quite easy to fall into the trap of thinking it's, it's music. Um, it's not essentially, and this is what I teach my year sevens as soon as I get them, is that worship is an expression of love towards God. At its core, at its heart, that is what worship is, expressing love towards God. Um, when we understand that, we can understand that worship is for everyone because everyone is able to express love. You might have heard of a book called The Five Love Languages. 
It's a book that essentially sets out this idea, this premise that there are five main different ways that people receive love. So people all receive love in different ways. Um, If you've ever received a copy of that, you probably have a fairly disgruntled spouse that is unhappy in their marriage and unhappy in their relationship. All of my wives have given me a copy of that (laughs) at some point. I have one copy of it. It sat on our bookshelf. I have read it. It just hasn't come off the bookshelf for a while, but it's there. I'm not allowed to get rid of it. I'm actually banned from it because it will come in handy at some point. Um, But one of the ways this book sets out the idea of people receiving worship, or excuse me, people receiving love, is words of affirmation. So the idea that you say nice things about the person, you give compliments, and that makes them feel good about themselves, that makes them feel loved... Um, And that is what we do when we worship musically. With the lyrics of songs, essentially that is all we're doing. We're saying to God how great he is, how much we love him. We're thankful for the things that he's done for us. We're setting out words of affirmation to God to let him know that we love him like that. Now, I'm not much of a wordsy sort of person. Don't bother giving me compliments. It doesn't mean that much. Don't bother calling me an idiot. It doesn't mean that much. I get called, I get compliments a lot. I get called an idiot quite a lot and a lot worse things as well. But for, for many people, there are different ways in which they receive that feeling of love. And we're going to think about different ways in which we can express love to God today. Um, One of the things I did in preparation for this talk was to go back over um, some of the old podcasts that we've done at Riverside over the years and just sort of listen to the ones that were written about worship. So I thought I'd put together a bit of a quiz for us this morning um, just so that we can see what's been taught in the church already about worship and just so we've all got sort of a base understanding of worship. So in September 2016, Simon showed us a picture of bacon and egg and he said a quote from him that the chicken was involved in this picture but the pig was is it a committed or b delicious <laughs> a b a b the answer is a the idea being that the pig was fully committed to that meal there actually literally physically giving himself to the meal and the point that simon was making from from showing us this was that whatever worship it is we're doing whether it's words of have affirmation or other types of worship we should be fully committed to it because the pig here was fully committed to it Jesus was fully committed to us in giving his life for us we therefore whatever type of worship it is we do should be fully committed in it question number two in February 2018 Simon said some more things about worship he said uh, that Sunday worship should be like the tip of is it a an iceberg or b a snooker cue There's a hint on the screen for you. (laughs) Tip of an iceberg. And again, the point that Simon went on to make was that we should have times where our worship is seen and times where worship is unseen. So when we gather together here on a Sunday morning, that is where our worship should be seen. Those words of affirmation being lifted up to God, that is what we're doing together communally. That is good and that is right. But there should also be times where it's our private thing, where we do things where um, unseen. Matthew, uh, excuse me, Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 6, 16, he says, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So doing that worship in the scene, in the public sector. And then he also says, just a chapter later in Matthew 6, verses 3 to 4, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. Instead, give your gifts in private. 
So there's direct teachings in the Bible that back up this point that sometimes our worship should be seen, sometimes our worship should be unseen. Uh, Question number three. In November 2018, Chris said some things about worship. He said, according to the Westminster Catechism, whatever that is, the chief end of man is to A, glorify God and worship him forever, or B, grow old, retire and join a knitting group. (laughs) The answer is A, Alison. You are incorrect there, I'm afraid. Um, Revelation 4, one of the final closing chapters of the Bible, talks about and it paints this picture of what worship is like in heaven. And I'm not even going to touch it. I'm not even going to go into it because it's a mad, it's a crazy book. But essentially, it's a big worship service forever and ever and ever and ever. And the idea being that what we do here, according to the Westminster Catechism, is that we should be practicing for that. The chief end of man, the most important thing any, any man or woman can do is to worship God and then glorify him forever. Number four. April last year, Simon said some more things about worship. Uh, He said worship is about revelation and A, response, or B, responsibility. Oh. (laughs) The answers so far have all been A. That's a good... Yes, well done, Debbie. Well done. Yeah, A, about revelation and response. Uh, The idea being that once we have a revelation of who Jesus is, what he did for us... The only thing that we could do, the only response that we should have is to worship him forever. That expressing our love back to him should be the only thing we can do. Not just that Jesus died and then rose again, but that Jesus came here in the first place. The idea that he was God and then he humbled himself and lowered himself to, to live amongst us and be subject to our laws, our rules, our customs, and then die and then come back to life. Once we have a real revelation and a real understanding of that, a lifetime of worship uh, should be the only response. Finally, here's a lovely quote. But who said it? Was it Jake or was it Jesus? It says, it is our private worship that stops our public worship from being a performance. Who said it? The answers have all been A. Hey, it was Jake. Yes, lovely quote from a lovely man. Um, And again, this goes back to the idea that worship should be seen and unseen. There should be times of public worship where we gather together. Yes, absolutely. But there should be times of private worship as well. And it's that private worship that stops our public worship from being a performance. Good. Anyone get five out of five? You really should have done. Yes, I made it very easy for you. What I thought I'd do for sort of the, the remainder of, of the time I'm speaking this morning is we'll have a look at um, a passage in the Bible from 2 Samuel. I'll put it on the screen for you now, 2 Samuel 6, 16 to 23, if you want to turn there or find it on your phones. Um, but we're going to have a think about a guy called David in the Bible. He's probably one of the, the best known characters in the Bible for the idea of worship. He wrote nearly half the Psalms that we have in the Bible. As a very young man, we, we don't really know how old, but somewhere between 12 and 16, he was taken into the court of the king at the time for him to play his, um, play his songs because the king loved his musical ability so much. And he's a man that's described as a man after God's own heart in a couple of places in the Bible. So really has got quite good pedigree here when it comes to worship so I thought it'd be important for us to to have a look at him and the example that he can give us about worship a bit of context for what's on the screen before we actually read it Um, this is titled in my bible the ark returning to jerusalem 
Now, the Ark of the Covenant, in, in its simplest form, is a, a very important artefact for the nation of Israel at the time. It's very highly prized, so much so that when Israel were attacked previously, before this passage, um, it was taken by the enemies, it was captured, it was then sort of recaptured and put in various different locations. And what we're about to see here is David bringing that Ark back into Jerusalem. There's a bit of a carnival atmosphere going on um, because he's bringing it home. So let's have a read of this and then we'll dive into it afterwards. Uh, so 2 Samuel 6, 16 to 23. But as the Ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the Ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and above his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrated before him. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Let's break that down a little bit and just pick out some, um, some parts from it. Let's look at verse 16 again. It says, But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. Now, I love it when I read the Bible and I can just instantly really relate to it. I don't know if you ever get this, but this verse, I just can really relate to it. I went to a, a worship service a, a few years ago. It was one of those big sort of festivals oh. in the summer, similar to wildfires. And there's this person um, doing her dancing, like doing all these crazy dance moves. And I'm not even going to try and get my leg up as high as she was doing it because I couldn't and I'd split my shorts and that would be bad for everyone. But she was doing all that and, and I, I'm OK, that's fine. I'm fine with that. That's not really me, but you do you. Um, I'm not the dancing type. Give me a couple of pints, put me on the dance floor at a wedding. I can hold my own for a bit, but that's not what I would choose to do in terms of a worship service. And I was okay with it until I'm sort of just stood here and then I took it within an inch of getting kicked in the head. Like she just, my, her foot just appeared right there and I'm like, whoa. And all of a sudden, I'm like Mikhail, I'm filled with contempt for her absolutely cannot stand what do you think you're doing that's not allowed round here i'm filled with contempt for this person but actually what she was doing and what david's doing in this verse when he's dancing his way into jerusalem they're worshiping and the contempt that me and michael had for these people that's our issue that's that's nobody else's issue that's something that we need to deal with that's not okay from our point of view but what they're doing is worshiping because david here he's expressing his love for god He's expressing his thankfulness for bringing that ark back into the city. Because remember, this was a, it's supposed to be a blessing to the nation of Israel. It was an exciting time. 
People do often use this verse, though, to point to it and say, well, if that's what worship should be like, why aren't our worship services like that on a Sunday? Why is it hard just to get people to put their hands in the air? Why is it hard to get people to clap? That's not the intention of this passage. That's being used outside of context. This is not a Sunday morning worship service that we're seeing here. What we're seeing here is a national celebration. This is a huge, huge, huge event. This artifact, if you like, that's gone missing from a nation for so many years is coming home and everyone wants it there. The only thing I can liken it to is if England ever win the World Cup and then that comes home. That's what's happening here. I wouldn't be surprised to see King Charles giving it a few dance moves as that's being processed down the mall. That would be fantastic. So when people use it to say this is what Sunday morning worship should be like, fine, feel free to dance, but that's not what it should be like. The reason it is not like that is because people will end up getting kicked in the head. Whether that's accidentally through worship or whether it's because I ensure it happens, people will get kicked in the head. So please feel free to dance. Feel free to worship God in that way if that's you. But don't please look at this verse and say we should all be dancing, but please feel free to do so if that's you. If music like me, isn't really your way to worship because you have no musical ability, then dancing might be your way to worship because worship is for everyone. Let's go verse 17. Um, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. So once David sort of calms down a little bit, composes himself, puts the ark in its place, um, he gets some offerings on the go. There's a whole sacrificial system in Israel that we don't, we're not going to go into, but there are two types of offerings here that we, we see David um, is offering. It's all the burnt offering and the peace offering. The first one, the burnt offering, essentially what that does is just provides atonement between the person offering the offering and, and God. So that puts that relationship right again. Uh, they'd offer an animal, that animal would be fully burnt up, and it was supposed to show that person's commitment that they would just give what they've got and expect nothing in return. That's it, that's given, it's gone, it's gone to the Lord. The second one, though, that we're going to have a bit of a look at is the peace offering. What this is, um, is a voluntary expression of gratitude that goes beyond a simple thank you. There's a bit more to it than that. A person would give a peace offering if they really wanted to express thanks for what God has done. So what David's doing here, again, in offering these offerings, he's worshipping. He's expressing his love, expressing his thanks and gratitude to him. In this offering, part of the animal would be burnt, but the other part would be taken back by the person uh, and cooked and shared as part of a fellowship meal. It'd be like taking part of a cow, that's gone to the offering, going home and sticking some burgers on the barbecue, getting people round. That's essentially the idea and the premise of this peace offering, that by inviting people round and sharing food with them around your table, essentially you're at peace with them, ideally, unless it's a family meal. Then things get tricky. (laughs) But that's the idea. The picture that's being painted here is that people are at peace around the table. Jesus talks in Matthew 25, he talks about um, inviting people into your home, feeding the hungry, giving water to those who are thirsty. And then he says, when you did it for the least of these, you were doing it for me. Now, there's a broad sense of understanding about what that phrase, the least of these means. One understanding is it just means anyone and everyone. So by inviting anyone, by inviting anyone round, what you're doing is worshipping. 
because you're sharing what you've been given. You're doing what David's doing here. He's giving offerings and getting people around, expressing love to God by sharing what you've been blessed with. So if music isn't your thing, if dancing isn't your thing, sharing might be your thing. It might be your way to worship because worship is for everyone. Verse 18 and 19, when he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a uh, a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned home. Essentially, David is just being a very nice guy here. He's just sharing what he's got. He's giving to other people without expecting anything in return. Obviously, he's the king of the nation. He has a lot of wealth. He has a lot to give. Um, again, I don't think King Charles is ever going to pop in and do the shopping for you. But essentially, David's almost done that. He's just given blessings to every single person that's there at the time. He's sharing his wealth. There's a story um, in Mark 6 of Jesus, and he's sat in the, in the temple, and he's watching people give, going into the offering. Um, and he's, he's watching and he sees this widow come up and he sees her put these two copper coins, the two smallest coins that they had back then, into this offering. And he says, I've never seen giving quite like this. And it's not what that widow gave that is the point of that story and why that's such impressive giving. It's what the widow kept. Because she kept nothing. And she just gives everything that she has. And what she gives... Excuse me, what she keeps is that point. She's keeping nothing for herself. So whatever we have, as little as it may be, we can be giving that and that can be our worship. So if musing, if dancing, if sharing aren't your ways to worship, then giving what you have, we all have things to give. That may be your way to worship, your way to express love to God. Verse 20. Um, Obviously, that's not all of verse 20. We're just going to focus on that one bit. So when David returned home uh, to bless his own family, we don't know how David blessed his own family. It's not specified. But what we know is he returned home and he did bless his own family. Um, I'm just I'm just going to make a suggestion based on this verse. This isn't based on anything that yeah, I know or I've heard or I've read. This is just what I've read into it when I've seen this. Um, I've worked with young people now for about 18 years. I know many of you think, wow, Chris, we thought you were 18. No, I'm, I'm slightly older than 18. But for 18 years, I've worked with young people in various different capacities. And when, when people talk to me about it, I work in a school now, and people say to me, Chris, do you, have, do you work with difficult young people? And we talked a bit about kicking people in the head this morning. That's exactly what I want to do when I get asked that question. But I remain professional and I, I squash that. And I, I say to them, no, I don't work with difficult young people. There's no such thing as a difficult young person. But there are young people who face difficulties. And then that presents challenges in terms of challenging behaviour. So that's always my professional answer to them in my head. I'm just battering them. Um, but these... These difficult situations, where, when we do training at school, we call them an ACE, an adverse childhood experience. And that's a broad range of things. That can be things like going through COVID. For young people and old people, that was very difficult, but it counts as an adverse childhood experience. If a family is to break up, whether it's through divorce or death or anything, that can be counted as an adverse childhood experience. 
um, if a, any type of abuse is in that young person's life, whether it's physical, neglect, emotional or sexual, that's an example of an adverse childhood experience. And I came across some really good training on this recently, and they likened the, the human brain to a Jenga tower. And you know when you build your Jenga tower, you do, it, uh, you do it three that way, three that way. You build, 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 build. That's essentially like the brain developing and the brain growing. Our brains grow up until we're about 25 years of age. So all that time, we're essentially stacking that Jenga tower higher. And any adverse childhood experience that comes along is almost like removing one of those bricks from the tower. Not going to make the whole thing collapse, but it is going to make it much more unstable. And if you get multiple adverse childhood experiences, you take one away, you take one away, you take one away, eventually it will collapse. What young people really need from a, a developmental point of view, and you ask a young person what you need, they will not give you this answer, but from that development point of view, they need stability, security and safety. If those three things are in place in a young person's life, that is what happens, that is what helps that young person to grow and to develop. Coming back to this verse, David goes home to bless his family. I've I've talked to parents before who, who want to know how to support their young people, and I'll say pretty much this to them. Please don't underestimate how important it is just to be there. David's been off, he's been doing his job, but then just to go home and to bless his family, his children, his many wives, but that's a story for another day. (laughs) It goes home and is a blessing. Please do not underestimate. Whatever role you have in a young person's life, mother, father, grandparent, uh, sister, sibling, whatever it is, just to be there and to provide stability is very often the first thing that a child, particularly a young child, will look to in order for stability, security and safety. To know that dad is going to come home at the end of the day and do dad things, to know that mum is going to be there when they wake up and do mum things and, and whatever it is, stability, security and safety. What David's doing, just by going home and blessing his family, I believe is worship. It's that an expression of love to God to love your children to love your family is an expression of love to God therefore it is worship so if music dancing giving and sharing aren't your way to worship blessing others certainly should be blessing the family blessing those around you is a very good way of worship um can we get the band back up and we'll we'll finish Amy did ask me what I want at the end of my preach I said a back rub um but she meant no (laughs) no she meant in terms of worship so you don't have to sit and watch that, don't worry. Um, what's, what your response is, is to this, then that's up to you. Okay? We've just looked at some different ways in which we can worship. That may not, it's not an exclusive list. This is just some of the things that we've drawn out from one passage. There are multiple ways in which we can worship. Worship is for everyone, it's for everywhere, and it's for every day. So if you want to go and and sing some music, we will do that now. We will provide the facilities for you to do that. That is why we do this. If you want to dance, please feel free to do that. Don't kick anyone in the head. Just dance nicely, but feel free. Um, If you want to share some of the things you've got, if you want to invite someone round for dinner today, please do that. If you want to be a blessing to others, if you feel it's right just to go home and bless your family that are there or wherever they are, then please feel free to do that. Shall we stand? Thank you for listening. 
if you'd like to contact us about this talk. To hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.